Their job now is to sanctify the social order, to sanctify the world. That's where the power of the laity lies. You can know it all you want, but until you got to pick up that cross that you can't carry, and he picks it up for you and carries you and the cross, then you know. Our nation is too full of those that are crying down. Down with the churches. Down with government. Can you build anything down? You cannot. And let's begin now to use the word up. Up from all of this filth. Up from this violence. Up from this indifference of courts. Up, up, up to God. Be courageous and keep the joy of loving. And welcome to another episode of Cajun Kingdom of Priests. This is Reed. This is Jude. And this is Father John Joseph. Happy Easter, guys. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is risen. Just as he said. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. He did say it. Yeah. I can't imagine understanding what he was talking about. Just like the apostles had no clue what he was talking about. You know, whenever I was like reflecting on it throughout the Triduum, it was like, yeah. I'd be so confused. (laughs) I know. And he's pretty specific. He's like, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. They're like, "Mm -mm, (laughs) we lost you. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, we, we decided to get together on this beautiful, it's a beautiful day, but divine mercy Sunday. um, We wanted to record, you know, especially just such a holy day just to reflect on God's divine mercy and St. Saint Thomas, Doubting Thomas. You know, someone was telling me just the other day, they were saying, they were saying you know, uh, Thomas gets a bad rap because, you know, the other 11 didn't believe that he was going to rise from the dead either. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, but Thomas's problem was that he wasn't at Mass on Sunday. He wasn't with the clan. That's why actually Pope Francis mentioned that. He said, he said, why did the women at the tomb, why did they encounter the risen lord first he said because they were the first ones at the tomb hmm. yeah it's that simple he said why didn't thomas encounter the risen lord because he wasn't there he said it just shows you know those who were there encounter christ you know yeah and so it's uh i just thought it was beautiful and he also had this great reflection on on how when you're with the community which thomas wasn't when you're with the community that's where you encounter the wounded body of christ the com- in the community and so thomas apart from the community didn't encounter the wounded and therefore the resurrected body of christ mm. i just thought it was so profound you know just that that's where we encounter the lord's mercy in the in, in the community yeah yeah the community being the church being the church right but 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 the broken and you know beaten bruised members of the church yeah that's mm-hmm. powerful the wounds of the body mm-hmm. wow yeah and that's where he encountered you know and and thomas had the greatest confession of faith in the entire new testament because he's the only one who calls jesus directly god yeah everyone else either says son of god or which is obviously i mean we understand that to be a confession of faith but he just says my lord and my god mm-hmm. you know what's what's your take on why do you think Christ rose with his wounds? I, I mean, I think the most obvious reason is that he was wounded and that, that, that didn't disappear from his body. You know, that it was his real flesh that rose from the dead, but that the wounds were glorified. I mean, I, 
think it's profound to the whole theology, the economy of salvation, that that it is through wounds that we are glorified. And it's not apart from them. Hmm. You know, a lot of times we kind of tend to think that unless I rid myself of my wounds, you know, then I can worship God. Yeah. But it it's actually in the broken body of Christ, he shows that, no, it's through his wounds that we worship God. It's really profound, and especially because how sin is a reality that needed to be dealt with. I, I find that always mysterious because God didn't... There was a big problem. The major problem of the Old Testament was that God made a covenant with his people that would, he would be faithful to forever if the people followed his law. And they didn't, but God had to be faithful. And so that's like the tension of the Old Testament where everybody's kind of like, what do we do? Because the prophets are like, I don't know. I mean, sounds like we're we're totally messed up, you know? <laughs> but, you know, Jeremiah, Jeremiah's like, uh, basically, we're finished. But God will make a new covenant. And so that's every prophet kind of deals with it in a different way. Like Hosea's like, well, it's like, he's like, I'm married to a prostitute. And that's what God feels like. Like he's married to a prostitute. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, wow. this is a great prophets. But, yeah. the, but that's, that's kind of the tension of the Old Testament. But that's really what I think Jesus' wounds show us is both sin had to be dealt with, but God did deal with it and he brought about something better. And that's sort of the mystery of the risen body of Christ. Mm. You know? Yeah. And foreshadowing that we're going to. Um, see God in the wounded in in the body of Christ like in the wounded within our society like like the least brothers of mine yeah and practicing the corporal works of mercy is where we encounter the wounds of Christ and even a reflection of ourselves and our wounds yeah and our insecurities yeah yeah no that's uh, is very very true to encounter God in the wounded members you know so I, I actually what I recently, well, for the past several, I don't know if it's been a couple of years or so, I've been visiting someone in prison. I, I I do a prison visit where with a group of people, but I also go visit a particular prisoner and in, in another prison. And he's someone I've actually known for a while. And it was very hard to get in there for COVID because COVID, they had like total lockdown. I mean... It was the hardest places to go for COVID as a priest, I can say, were nursing homes, hospitals, and prison. Uh, just to give you an example of a hospital situation, I mean, I couldn't set foot in a nursing home for a long time. And then a hospital, <coughs> when it comes to hospitals, I I could go to Lourdes because I had a, a, a what you call it, like an ID card or whatever, because I was a chaplain. But I was able to anoint a, a brother priest's father, and that brother priest could not see his dad. Mm. I was wild. Golly. Yeah, that's how crazy COVID was. But anyway, the same thing with prison. Like It was very, very strict. And he actually told me, this prisoner, he told me that 
on for Holy Week. So they they finally went green, which means that like all the COVID restrictions were lifted. And so he was so excited about that. And they had mass for the first time on Christmas Day this past Christmas. So it was the first time he had had mass in years. Wow. Yeah. So it was very beautiful. But anyway, on Monday of Holy Week, they went to red, which means total lockdown. And he was just devastated because he was like doing a hardcore Lent. And he wasn't able, he was like, I'm not going to be able to receive for Easter. But then on Good Friday, they went back green. And he was like, what is going on? It must have been like a mistake or something. But on Good Friday, they went back green and he was able to receive for receive the Eucharist for Easter. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, so one time I told him I was, when I go go visit him, I always have to, I kind of feel cool, I'm not going to lie, because I go I have to go undercover. Because I have to like dress like a normal person so that they'll let me into the prison. It's crazy. Like they wouldn't let me in. Did I tell you? I think I told you that. Crazy oh my gosh, thing. you totally have to tell that later. <laughs> But that's right. so funny. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you right now. So, <laughs> so what happened? I was going to visit this guy, and I show up, and the lady's like, she's like, give me ID, you know. So I show up in my. So I'm mean, okay. Well, I probably should say that I've gone the first time I went. I went dressed like a religious, and they said you can't wear that. So I went, took off my habit, and I wore what was underneath. And they let me in. The next time, I went back wearing wearing what was underneath. And they said, you can't wear that. It has to have, like, print. It's got to have all this kind So I was like, all these kinds of rules. So I had to go to Walmart, buy this clothes, go back to the prison, and they let me in. Then another time, I went, and my license was expired. And so this is the time my license was expired. So I go in, and she's like, your license is expired. And I was like, oh, because I, I hadn't been able to see him in a while because they had another COVID lockdown so i was like i knew he would be devastated so i was like oh gosh how am i and it's this this place is hours away so like uh, it it takes me hours to get there so it's not like i could just run back or so i was like trying to get to the dmv to renew i mean i needed my license anyway but (laughs) then what ended up happening i called father champagne i was like can you bring me my passport because that was an equivalent so so he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, all right, uh, yeah, I guess so, uh, you know, so he, he like goes and he was trying to find my passport and he found it. And so we met halfway and, uh, but I had to be there before two o'clock and it was, it was probably 1250 and I had an hour long drive. Oh. So I was like, oh man, like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, you know? So I get there at 150. So they were literally going to shut the doors at 2. So I was like, okay. So, so well, but I, I, I missed the main part of the yeah. story. Sorry. <laughs> so anyways, oh, this is, so, so what, what happened was when I, when I went back to go for, for my license, so I go back to my car because she, she said, you got to go get your, you got to go do something. I, I don't really care, but you can't, you're not getting in with this. So I go back to the car and I was like, I put back on my habit and then um, I, w- I was looking and I was like, wait, where's my license? I'm talking on the phone to Father Champagne and and I'm like, wait, hold on, Father. Uh, I'm going to have to go. I don't know where my license is. I must have like either left it with the lady or dropped it on the ground, you know. So I start, I start walking back. You know, um, looking on the ground, like in the parking lot of the prison, 
for my license. So I'm kind of like, okay. Now, mind you, like I walked in in normal clothes. Okay, so so the way they saw me was with normal clothes. Now I'm walking around in my habit. Okay, looking on the grounds, just looking very suspicious. So the lady, she busts out of the the door with the security guard and she goes get on the sidewalk and i was like whoa <laughs> and so i was like uh okay and she goes and she goes she said you ain't gonna put some more clothes on what is wrong with you and i was like i am so sorry i was like i wear this all the time she's like what's the matter with you get on the sidewalk and i was like okay i'm on the sidewalk and uh and i was like i, I can't find my license she said, "You better get out of here." I said, "I said no. Look, I'm a priest. Like this is what I usually wear. They told me I can't wear this in there." And she's like, "She's like, I don't care." I said, "I'm gonna go get my passport and be back." She goes, "I don't care what you do." She's like, "Just get on the sidewalk." <laughs> so I was like, "All right." So anyway, short story long. I made it in. It was all fine. Uh, I brought my passport. Made it in to see him. But anyway, so I told him, I said, I said, look, man, because this guy is just like profound soul and he puts us all to shame uh, when it comes to puts us all to shame when it comes to like Lent practices and prayer. I mean, he lives a monastic life in the prison and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, And he did tell me like uh, because I asked him, I was like, hey, look, how much can I share? Um, I only want to share what's what you would let me share. And he said one of the things he said that because it's it is important to his story. He does struggle with like homosexual attraction, same sex attraction. Um, but nevertheless, he uh, lives a profound life of prayer and a, a very penitential life as well. I mean, he lives in a penitentiary. But he said like, okay, I want to. I said, look, I'll if you give me letters because he can write me. I will read them because they're really beautiful stories. I mean, he tells me so many incredible things. I'm like, man, I wish I could share all these things. And so these are some of the stuff that he gives me permission to, to share. But what this one was really cool, and I didn't even ask him to do this. It was just it just so happened. But I was just like, man, this has got to be shared on the podcast because he shared with me how he lives out his priesthood, his lay priesthood in the prison i mean he's not an ordained priest but he is a a a lay priest and he really understands that so he told me let me see if i can i'm gonna just kind of read um he says says during the palm sunday the palms are consecrated blessed in a misa sica so that that is a a word a latin word meaning a dry mass and he says that a dry mass culminates in a consecration of something other than the bread and wine of the Holy Eucharist. And he says, before I knew it was a dry mass, the Misa Sika was, um, was vividly portrayed in two fictional books. The first, uh, Michael Kent's The Mass of Brother Michel. Uh, Brother Michel, unable to become a priest, falls in love with the mass and it becomes his very breath, the beat of his heart. At the end of his life, he offers a Misa Sica. The second, Monsignor Benson's By What Authority, the main character, a priest, offers a daily Misa Sica in his prison cell. So he's reading these books, and, 
and seeing like a priest in prison and and he's unable to use bread and wine to consecrate this priest in, in the book and so he sees himself not because he's unable to use bread and wine but because he's he's not a ordained minister so he is able to participate in celebrating the mass in this way and he said a few years ago praying the mass for me meant a cursory reading of the propers but as i fell in love with the mass i needed more the readings needed their proper setting but how how do i pray the mass if i'm not present at the mass uh, Father Jean Boylan, in his classic work, This Tremendous Lover, says, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches the effects of the Mass can be obtained by a sincere des- desire. He said, those who are prevented from receiving sacramentally should appeal confidently to God, whose grace-giving, whose grace-giving action is not limited to the sacraments, and in a real sense of their need, with full confidence in his power and goodness, beg him to give them those graces which he normally would give to them in Holy Communion. Such a prayer can draw down innumerable graces and should be the daily practice of those who cannot approach the altar. Uh, I just think that's, I mean, it's very powerful. So he said, so I began the daily practice of Amisa Sicca. But the next question became, what was I offering, consecrating? Because he couldn't consecrate bread and wine, couldn't consecrate the body of Christ. So, he said in, in spiritu militati said anonima contrito succipiamus ad te domine in a humble spirit and a contrite heart may we be received by thee o lord wow the offering is myself the culmination of the misa sicca is offering myself in union with the sacrifice of jesus at calvary in mass space and time are annihilated in mass eternity and infinity are brought to earth Though Mass is celebrated at a thousand altars, there is but one Mass, one miracle, one coming, one Calvary, one sacrifice, in which all sacrifice is included. And then he says, Yes, one sacrifice, Jesus, and I take my heart, give it to Mary, and she places it in the sacrificial heart of her son. Even though I am not, quote, there, I am there. I am at Calvary. Space and time are annihilated. Truly, I can say, intro ibo ad altar dei, ad deum qui latificat, eventum meum, I will go to the altar of God, to God who giveth joy to my youth. Oh my goodness. Isn't that powerful? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like, this is the tip of the iceberg of this dude. Uh, I mean, but it, uh, for me, this was just, he, he, it makes me celebrate the mass better, you know. And he actually wrote this because so you remember, so you remember we had Allison on the podcast. Yeah, we talked about the women at the well, and and so recently Allison and I went and we did an event for those who were separated, divorced, remarried at the diocese. It was very successful, but anyway, he originally wrote this. He, he said, like, share this with them. Oh, wow. Because he said, because if you can't receive communion because of your marriage marriage situation or because you're in prison or whatever, whether it be because of your own fault or the fault of someone else or the fault of some other situation, anyone can offer themselves, you know? And anyone can approach the altar of Calvary. So... 
just just an extremely powerful you know and i just thought what a, what a perfect thing to share on this divine mercy sunday just of what it means to be a, a true lay priest yeah yeah i think uh one thing that the the pope benedict symposium that uh that you had really uh you and father sinat since that had had put on one thing that really stood out to me was I think it was Father Sibley who was talking about um, we become sons of the Father by entering into Jesus and the Father's relationship. Like when we say that our Father, we are saying me and Jesus's Father. That's how we are able to claim that we're sons and daughters. And I felt like that helped me understand further what I'm doing whenever I'm in the mass and I'm offering myself to Jesus. It's like I'm I'm entering into the relationship, the love between the father and the son. And it's like at the same time, the priest is holding up the Eucharist. Jesus is like holding me up to the father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ever since the Pope Benedict symposium, that moment in mass has, you know, consistently like struck me no matter how well i was paying attention throughout the mass or like mm. you know how um focused i was on the readings or the homily whatever it was like that moment continually like strikes my heart mm. and i'm grateful mm-hmm. that jesus is able to like offer me up and i'm able to like have the opportunity to enter into that perfect love mm-hmm. yeah and you know like that's exactly what active participation that's you know a lot of the kind of questions surrounding vatican ii's understanding of the liturgy which said that we need active participation it wasn't more people holding more objects and doing more things it was more people doing exactly what you just said entering into the sacrifice even like the active participation of this guy who's in prison who's able to participate in the mass even though he's not that's the whole thing is he's not able to be and do anything for mass except he's able to connect with the mass by offering himself and i, I mean i i know i mean he i mean I, i'm a spiritual director so he i i mean he prays the mass every day he prays all the hours of the office every day uh, he prays you know the rosary he didn't eat meat all lent i mean he's serious he's a he's a serious christian and uh and, and yet, I mean, he, he'll also talk about, like I mentioned that, he, he talks about the, the difficulty, the struggle that he has and the cross that he carries. And, but also, I, I mean, like I pretty much ask him for any prayer that I ever need, ever, because like I just trust his prayers. <laughs> you know, God hears his prayers. So it's pretty profound. And he'll, he'll ask me, like he can name everybody in the community he prays for them daily oh wow yeah he, he, he anybody I, I bring to him he prays daily for that, those people it's pretty powerful did they get the mass in prison uh, well, that's, like every sunday or so the the when they were on covid restriction they didn't but now they're getting okay. mass more often so yeah it's a huge huge gift but i mean he hadn't had mass in years before this previous christmas so uh, really, really humbling because you can, you can see, you know how someone can become so holy when we, we who get have the opportunity for daily mass oftentimes, yeah. are are squandering those graces all the time. You know, I'm using myself in that included. 
yeah i just i just wanted to say what a beautiful like like way to remind ourselves what this podcast is all about (coughs) you know it's finding the people like this that that are that are learning through their daily life and through their daily struggles that like these things can be redemptive you Mm -hmm. know that these things are this is like all part of our journey you know um i'm i mean to just to hear these beautifully written words that that he just like has time to like sit and ponder and pray with yeah and for that to be shared with us and for us to be like edified by that is such a testament to you know the power of grace at work you know in this guy's life yeah you know so yeah just a beautiful reminder of like what this started as you know and and what the the type of people within our church that we have no idea about yeah you know you know it's pretty powerful i have to share this with y'all because um it during i i read this actually at mass or i i referred to part of it at mass one of our brothers was reading one of the books that he was talking about. And as I was preaching on this in mass, he has a grand mal seizure. It was like, uh, it was just very scary. So we, in the middle of mass, like while I was up there in the pulpit, we had to call the ambulance and get him, you know, but it was just like, it was just like a mystical, you know, presentation of just like what he was saying. It was just like, his brother was offering himself with the sacrifice of the mass. He was there with his body with Jesus. just talking about how we were um we're recording this on divine mercy sunday and how we were feeling inspired to uh just kind of talk about um mercy and and father especially read a beautiful letter from a prisoner that he's been guiding spiritually and um and we also just wanted to talk about the topic of confession and really kind of dive into that which um Father, I, you know, I think you probably know a couple things about confession, so <laughs> so I'm excited to, to learn some more from this. Yeah. Well, one thing one thing would be good, too, I mean, I could talk a little bit about it, but if y'all have questions for me, too, hmm. one time I gave a talk on what sort of a priest perspective of confession is, hmm. because obviously, I mean, I've only been a priest for about three years now, but... I mean, you hear a lot of confessions sometimes, especially like just before, um, what was it? It was Wednesday of Holy Week at St. Pius, heard confessions for five hours straight. I can't even use the bathroom. Five hours straight. There were, and I was one of eight priests. Isn't that pretty awesome? Like, so I think there was over 500 confessions that we heard easily. Wow. Gosh. Isn't that incredible? Like, what a day of mercy, you know? But... Anyway, whenever, whenever you're hearing confessions, especially especially like a lot of confessions, I, I remember Fashampan said this one time. He's like, 
He's like, yeah, any priest will tell you, you know, take a bullet to the head before a lot of confessions. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like well, I probably, probably shouldn't have said that on the podcast, but, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not so much that we don't like hearing confessions, but it's not easy. I think that's, a, it's something to know. Uh, I think a lot of people think that maybe priests enjoy it or like, it's like certain, like pleasant, but it, no, I mean, I feel how you feel. I, that, I think that would be a good way to put it. I, in fact, when I first started hearing confessions, I re, like I realized it was so hard for me to realize when I last went to confession because it was so confusing because it felt the same. Wow. When I was hearing or saying my confession, so I was like, wait, you know, it, it would almost get confusing on which side of the, the screen I was on. So I think that's that's something to. First and foremost, that I like to tell people is that that the vulnerability that you feel is felt on the other side. I mean, I can at least and and look, I can't speak for every priest because obviously every priest is a little bit different. But that's been my my pretty consistent experience is that it's a very vulnerable feeling. And so, and so, as much in fact, uh, we were just talking with uh, Abby was saying just right before she was saying how. Sometimes she said, she said, you know, the priests are quiet on the other side of the screen. And I said, I said, yeah, it's funny that you say that because it feels the same way when I'm giving advice or I'm instructing or I'm saying, and I don't know if this person's taking offense at that, if they're upset with me or if they're taking it to heart or, you know what I'm saying? So it's, that's what I'm saying. It's the same feeling of vulnerability where you're like, I wonder what the priest thinks of me now. And I'm saying, I hope they're not offended or I hope they're okay. I hope they know that I'm not thinking negative thoughts about them. And that, so that's, that's just in general been my experience of confession. I don't know. Do you, uh, do you typically strive to like, to be able to give advice or are there times where it's important for you to have a boundary on like kind of how long you're in confession with an individual? So I'll say this, I typically have longer confessions just in general, and I think it may be because of me, but I also think that because a lot of times I'm hearing in the ambulance and a lot of times, or I'm hearing them at retreats, and so people just automatically anticipate it to be longer. So they, the way they approach the confessional is... I'm not trying to be conscientious of Father's time. So, which is fine. You know, that it doesn't bother me unless we have like over 500 confessions that I'm usually like, okay, let's move this along. I don't need a whole story. But, um, because, and especially, I mean, I'll tell you what's frustrating. I don't mind when people are pouring out their hearts because I understand, especially if it's been a long time. I don't expect them to just like, you feel like you're doing open heart surgery and you can't rush those kinds of things. But whenever somebody comes in and they are avoiding saying their sins, that is extremely aggravating. Uh, and I mean like, or like not when they're avoiding, like it's not when they're like, okay, this is really hard for me to say. That's very different. Cause then I can definitely be patient with that. But it's when they're clearly neglecting their sins. Yeah, I, I, I can remember one time I was in confession, I, and I can't remember exactly what I was trying to say or what I was trying to express, 
But father just kind of like very kindly said, like, you're doing a great job, but just get to the point. <laughs> like, just say what you're trying to say. But yeah. Like, like you're like, you're kind of trying to give a whole story as to what happened or whatever. Right. Like, just get to the point. Yeah. You what's know? the sin? Yeah. And, 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 and it's not that every, uh, I told that's one thing that I said at the, the talk on confession. I said, every sin has a story. Not every story needs to be told. You know, that's that's an important thing to to just remember that. Now, because it's you know, I I really don't want to know why you fell into the sin necessarily every time. I just need to know that you did. You know, I know why you fell into it because you have concupiscence. You know, and we're you know, it's we're messed up. You know, like I mean, and that's that's one thing. And uh, someone asked me this one time. They said. They said, yeah, God, that must be so dark hearing five hours, for instance, of nonstop sinfulness. And I said, but it's not. I said, it's, there's, there's definitely the darkness where you're seeing like human beings as we really are and what we're actually capable of. But every single person who's in there is in there because they don't want to be that way. So it, it's very uplifting at the same time. Uh, you know, not, I'm not saying you don't feel weighed down because you do oh when you leave there but you also have this experience of just jesus's love for us and i can honestly say there have been very palpable real times in the confessional where i i say i am experiencing jesus's love right now like this is someone uh there is someone else loving in me right now Mm. And that's a pretty profound experience for confession because you just know, you just get an experience of like Jesus loves his person, like, and and I mean, in, in some sense, every person is like that, but there's some there's some moments where that's just intensified. And then this is another thing that always happens with confession, always. It seems like it always happens at least, but it seems like every time there always when especially after you just hear a bunch of confessions. There's always like you're packing up, like I'm thinking of the ambulance, or you're you're like ready to go, and right as you're about to leave, you're this close to leaving, and someone else comes, and they're like, "If you don't have time, you don't have to. If you don't have time, you don't have to." Always, it's a huge confession. It's always. It's like it's like God wants to see if you will be generous enough to this person, mm-hmm. and and I'm always like. Oh, it's so aggravating. I, I know it's going to happen. And I know I'm going to be happy that I did it after I hear their confession. But every time I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to. And what do I say? Yeah, I have plenty of time. You know, you have to, you know. Yeah. But but God's grace comes in and, and he because he loves that person. And he's being generous with that person. And he knows that this person, uh, that like this is this how much courage this took. For this person to do that and so you have to be generous you know but it sometimes is very hard because you got other people waiting and you know there was there was one time this this priest told me this story he's walking through an airport and like some some guy stopped him and and was just like hey father like uh are you a catholic priest or whatever i don't know how it went down but basically can you hear my confession father's like yeah absolutely so they sat down in the like one of the terminals and heard his confession he was like all right thanks father bye and father said like when he got up and left i just felt like i was just used in the best way possible yeah yeah don't know this guy he doesn't know me like 
I was just I was just used for my you know just like uh, superpowers. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the word I'm looking Basically. for is. <laughs> yeah, but that was so cool and. Um, I wanted to kind of like start off, well, I guess we're already started off, but <laughs> I wanted to ask like just the roots of like where confession comes from, like biblical roots, kind of like how it got started in the form that it is in now. And, uh, just kind of like debunking the whole, like, you only need to confess your sins to God idea. Mm-hmm. I just, I just want to get at the core of like why the the right of penance is like so important and powerful and and how it got to be what it is yeah exactly like yeah that's a good question so because it is different yeah yeah Yeah, i and and but after this remind me i wanted to tell like funny stories like not obviously about people's sins but just like common things that happen oh no we're gonna do a q and a okay (laughs) so but i'll say this so first first uh typically typically what um in the Old Testament, they had these obviously penitential practices. So really, where it started was, is it started with grief. So you'd have this these methods of grieving. So what you would do is you'd like get on the ground, you'd like put dirt in your hair, you wouldn't eat for a few days, and you wouldn't sleep, and and that was the whole idea. There was that you were going into the realm of the dead. So if like someone close to you died. You would have an intense period of grief, which usually shouldn't last more than a week. And then, then they would actually have paid. So they'd have paid people. So if, if y'all have seen The Chosen, where they have like the the people like playing the sad yeah. song, and they're like, Whoa, you know, like yeah. crying and stuff. That was a real thing. So they'd have people to come and like help you grieve. So they would like make the situation even more sad. So that way you could like enter into this grief. And then, and then also. Like with that, you, you at the end of that period, where if you've been going on with this for like a week, then you would have these these people who would come and console you, and they'd call you friend. They call them friends. So if you ever see that, like Job's friends in the in the in the scriptures, Job's friends are really just people who are sent to console him in his grief and say, "Look, bud, all right, man, okay, time to come out of it." Basically, like, oh, all right, it's it's okay. Like it's you're gonna get over this, and that's why Job's like, no, don't don't tell me. Like, and then Job gives his spiel, and then God says, Job, did you create the stars? Okay, well then shut up. So, <laughs> book of Job. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the that's kind of how grief happened in the Old Testament. With the prophets, the prophets started to say, look, you need to not just grieve the death death. But you need to grieve sin. And so they started applying those practices of grief to sin. And so it became part of not just like the prophets would show in, in their attitudes and their, in their actions that, we need, that if Judah or if Israel is committing sins, that there needed to be communal acts of penance. And, uh, you know, obviously you've got the 40, days in the, 40 years in the wilderness and... Uh, but that's that wasn't like a penitential time per se. That was a time of liberation where God taught them how to worship. But later on in Israel's history, they were they were have they had to have public manifestations, especially if it was public sins. And so the whole idea was like the more public it was, the more the more we need to do this as a community. 
And so you would enter into these penitential practices. When it came to, when it comes to the, the time of Christ that was still happening, and of course, primarily as, as I mentioned in the last, the previous segment, I was talking about how sin has to be dealt with. And, and because sin has to be dealt with, that therefore, you know, we can't, we have to, we have to feel the effects of sin. Because someone somewhere is going to feel them, and ultimately Christ takes it all on. But sin has to be dealt with. We can't just ignore it, and that's what we try to do. So there's always this sense, and, and this was true, obviously, this culminates in Christ's sacrificial offering on the cross, but there's always this sense that you got to take sin seriously. And Jesus takes sin seriously. Um, even though he doesn't like publicly punish the woman caught in adultery he tells her don't sin anymore like quit doing that because it's it's harmful to you it's harmful uh to 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 the community you know so so there was always a sense that sin affects everybody and sin needs to be dealt with in the early church i mean we see in saint james letter it says uh he says confess your sins to one another and then predominantly where we get the the scriptural verse for confession is uh, John 21, where it says, where he breathes on the disciples, on the apostles. And he says, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven, and whoever sins you retain are retained. In other words, if you forgive them, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're not. They're not. He was giving that authority to them by his breath. Yeah. That's today's gospel, right? It was in there? Come on. Come on. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I knew Thomas was in there. I preached on the gospel, but I just forgot that that was in there. It's <laughs> 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 not what I focused on. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah. So there there you go. It's in today's gospel. But but yeah, so that, that this was, this was uh, the idea that the apostles had the authority to forgive sins. Now, you may ask. Well, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, that was the question of the Pharisees. Whenever Jesus says, Jesus heals the, the paralytic, but he first forgives his sins, and they say, who are you forgiving sins? And he says, but, whoa, buddy. He's like, so that you know that the Son of Man, not the Son of God, the Son of Man, in other words, in his humanity, has the power to forgive sins, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. And the guy picks up his mat and walks. So he he. He has the miracle to affirm the spiritual reality that he was capable of doing by his own authority. So I think, I think that 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 was that is clear and and evident that Jesus is giving the authority to forgive sins to men, but not just any men, specific men, you know. And that that was that's also clear in John chapter twenty one. So that's how it develops in the New Testament. Now, in the early church, now there, there's, there's kind of like some people will say, oh, people were confessing their sins um, publicly, that that's what was happening in the early church. That was always an abuse. So that was never the case. Never did they say that that was okay. But there was some conflict, especially in the early church, about certain sins and penance that had to be applied to certain sins. So in the beginning, what you would do uh, was usually there were there were thought to be three sins that were not some thought they were unforgivable, but the there were there was a lot of debate and discussion about that. Can y'all guess what they are? What do y'all think are the three quote unquote 
They're not unforgivable, but they were the three that were thought to be the most serious. Adultery? Adultery is one, yeah. Blasphemy? Um, kind of. Not quite. Not quite. Murder? Murder is another one. So it's it's not it's, blasphemy. It's heresy? You're close. Mm. Warmer. Idolatry. Well, not quite idolatry. What? You're dancing around this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Apostasy. So oh, okay. at the, in the early church, you know, people were getting murdered for being Christian. So they thought that if you apostatize, if you left the faith, that could be considered unforgivable. Oh, okay. Now, so there was a lot of debate. You know, most of our saints said, no, every they're forgivable. You know, so that was really the, what the church always believed. But... But what would happen is if you were to confess, so what you would do is you would go to the bishop or the elder or whatever, and you would confess any of these three sins. There were certain public acts of penance that you would have to do. So you'd take on certain sackcloth. Like I said, it's, it's, that's connected to the Old Testament understanding of grieving. We have to take sin seriously. And sometimes you would have to be penitential for the rest of your life. You know, So that, that was one form that, that developed. And then later, they, they have what is called the Irish Penitentials, where there was these monks in Ireland who were not priests, but people would come to them for spiritual direction, and they would assign certain spiritual remedies to people's sins. So if you were to come and you were saying, oh, I have a problem with gluttony, then what they would say, okay, well, only eat this, 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 and this for the next several... So what happened was... This spiritual practice that was happening here and the spiritual practice that was happening uh, it, further east um, was ended up like coming together and forming what we know today to be closer to the practice of confession. So that's how it developed, but it was always it was always this sense of like dealing with sin and having to to state uh, and address sins. In a in a forum that that was connected with the church. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of roundabout way of saying it, but it was not just confession to God. It never was. Yeah. So. Yeah, it has to be within the community in some sense. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So now that we got the uh, now that we got that um, taken care of, now we can talk about the fun stuff. You know, <laughs> let's get down to the. Let's get down to the parts where, you know, more the, the stories you wanted to tell are kind of like the some of the common questions Reed and I can come up with. But did you have something you wanted to say first? Well, I was just going to say this because this is, this is very common. Like, and, and, and I say this not to make anyone feel bad. So please just know because it's I'm actually saying this because it's funny because if you did, ever did it, like, you are not the only one. So, so... Very common people come in and they say, "Bless us, O Lord," and these I guess. <laughs> very common. <laughs> uh, another another one of the my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm bound to you through Christ our Lord, and, it, and sometimes it takes them all the way through. Sometimes they don't notice. Sometimes they're like, because uh, they're so nervous. I feel bad for them, you know. But uh, but sometimes sometimes they're like. He's like, I guess which I'm about to receive from thy bounty. Wait, uh, that's not right. <laughs> um, 
another another so very good. common one. This is especially with kids. Whenever I put up my hand to to give them absolution, they'll high five me, <laughs> and, and and or or like I've I've learned to not spread my fingers that much because they'll grab my hand. <laughs> And that's they're like adults will just like grab my hand and just hold on to it. Just like you know? pray with you. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> those are like those don't bother me at all. You know, that's always oh, fun. Oh gosh, that's funny. The ones that bother me, like and this like the parable of the uh, the tax collector and the Pharisee. I can tell you that like experiencing that in confession, I'm like I totally understand why that upsets God because. You will get both in confession where someone will come and they just have a, they're pretty heinous sins, you know, but it is powerful movement of grace. And it's always, you just, you're just like, like you, it's so clear something powerful and spiritual just happened. Mm. But then you've got the people who come in, you know, I I pray my rosary every day, you know, I'm, I'm part of the Knights of Columbus and uh, do such and such, and that's about it, Father. Like you didn't tell me any sins, you know. Like I, I, I can't absolve you, you know. And sometimes I'll say that. Well, did you sin? You know, did you sin? Mm-hmm. I mean, I really can't think of anything. Wow. You know, so and that's very true. And it's like that feels like such a waste of time, mm. you know. <laughs> so you see, like when you're when you're hearing those those prayers, like uh, of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you're like. It was literally like the Pharisees' prayer was literally a waste of God's time. You know, it, it just wasn't. You know, he was not connecting with them, and and I've experienced in that. That's those are the frustrating moments. You know, and it's hard not to get aggravated. But I usually just kind of say, okay, well, uh, I'll give you a blessing or something, but I can't forgive you if you didn't have any sins. You know, and uh, that's fairly rare. But it sometimes, usually when I start fishing a little bit, which people don't like, and I, 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 that's something that's always hard for me is like, how much do I ask questions? Yeah. Because a lot of times people will feel very violated by questions. And it's hard because it's like, well, I, you know, I, you know, anyway, it's always hard. Because sometimes for, for some people, it's that question that changes their whole life. And then for other people, it's that question that turns them so off to confession. Yeah, it could be the same exact question, you know. So I know that you you kind of talked about this earlier, but I know that I always, uh, or not always, but like very often would like use confession as an opportunity for spiritual direction in mm-hmm. some sense, mm-hmm. and like not even really have like that much prepared, and I would kind of just go in and just you know be kind of like bringing up a situation even though it's not like directly a sin like i was bringing up a situation to get advice on it in right. some sense and i remember being at a at a retreat and kind of like being in adoration and i was like you know yeah i was younger i was like i'm kind of bored i i'm gonna go to confession there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we go in there so um so i know i've had to grow out of that To hear more of this podcast, 
Go check out Cajun Kingdom of Priests on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you may stream your podcast from. Thank you. And we're back on Spotify. I am not Reed. I am Seth, usually behind the scenes. But Welcome Reed to had to had to leave. So I'm here to, to the fill in yeah. <laughs> on Spotify. So we're talking about confession. And we had some we had some more questions for Father. Maybe Father can tell some more funny stories from, from the confessional. Uh, he was just asking. He was just telling us about how he, you know, you don't know when to ask questions, how to probe more. Something that I always wondered is how do you decide what penance to give somebody? Because it's it seems to be different for every priest. Well first of all, before I like say this, can you can you tell the story? Don't use names. (coughs) Yeah. yeah. Because I I think it's helpful. Yeah, it's helpful. So Abby and I walked out of mass and and someone was just like in conversation and they saw us and they were like, Can y'all believe Father, I was in confession with Father the AKB. other day. Yeah, yeah, with, with your brother-in-law, and he gave me a decade of the rosary. Like I thought I'd been being good. Like I thought I'd been being good, and then he gave me a decade of the rosary. And she was like, "What the heck?" And I was like, "Look, it's it's not personal. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened in there." <laughs> I, I mean, which is funny because I do give a decade of the rosary all the time, and I, I mean. To be honest, sometimes you kind of get a little bit in autopilot, and I mean, I hate to say that, but that there is a there is, a, I try not to, because like you know you always hear like one our father, you know, and, that, and that's kind of like the the rote penance that everybody gets or something like that. But sometimes you're just like I don't know what to say, and that's kind of like my go-to as a decade of the rosary. Just I guess for me, I'm like oh, it takes you two minutes. You know, but but I guess you know for a lot of people it's it's like oh my gosh, it's like I must have been a grave center, you know. Yeah. But that's not how I think of it. Um, but but I I think just in general for me, I mean, it is hard because like sometimes a lot of times I'll give a whole chapter of scripture. A lot of the reason why is because I don't want to give verses because that gets really confusing. So I'll just say read John fifteen or read Psalm fifty seven or. You know, so like just just uh, passages of scripture that I think are really helpful to just kind of connect with the the mystery and. Um, but I guess you know I'm kind of revealing myself as like I must be a hard penance giver, but uh, so <laughs> throwing you know, the books at us. <laughs> so go, go go to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I I think you know I mean I typically don't just give like three hail marys or something like that. Yeah. And I think because for me there's a lack of in, in that. There's a lack of real restoration that needs to happen, you know, because like I, I, I think it goes back to what we've been saying is kind of the theme of of this Divine Mercy Sunday, which is, you know, if we need mercy, then that means that we have to we, we are sinners. And if we are sinners, then that means we have to be in contact and aware of the reality of sin. And so I think penance is meant to do that. And so some like really short prayers doesn't really give us that contact with the the our sinfulness. 
and in some ways, you know, there's an old, there's like a saying, like Father Champagne said, ah, I don't like that one. Because they'll say, like, hearing confessions of, like, nuns or kids uh, is like being stoned to death by marshmallows or something like that. You know, like, it's like, you know, it's like, ow, you know, whoop de doo you know, what did you do? But Father's like, I don't like that because, no, in some ways it's it's more grave. It's more serious. You know, you need to take it very seriously just because it's not murder doesn't mean that it doesn't wound the heart of jesus mm-hmm. you know and that these sins are not you know not something to be to be uh, reckoned with you know and that, that we have to deal with mm-hmm. so but like i said I, I do try to always match what the content of what they're saying with the penance so so, that would, so is it i'm sure it'd be incorrect to say that you know okay one venial sin equals one hail mary in penance right. and like oh a decade of the rosary that's like a, oh you committed a mortal sin right. so this is the ten this is the proportional right. yeah. solution to your sin exactly and yeah. so but prayer is prayer right i mean for me what it is predominantly is like i will assess you know uh and i mean obviously i don't know what this person you know in this situation whatever was confessing but i, I typically assess what i'm hearing as the problem so I mean I mean I always kind of consider myself sort of like a doctor in that that position. It's like what do I need to diagnose? What is this person diagnosed with? And so what am I going to prescribe in order for this person to heal? So if it's prayer that I'm prescribing, I want the meditation or whatever they're reflecting upon to be something that's going to help them to deal with what they're suffering from, the affliction of sin that they're suffering from. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I've given cold showers and stuff before, you know, just because sometimes those actions are, are very helpful to, to repairing the sinfulness. Um, but it, it's not always, I'm not always weighing the gravity as much, mm-hmm. like the length to the gravity of the sins, yeah. which a lot of people take it that way. But it's more like, what is the sin and what would help heal that sin? And you had talked about earlier people that come in, you said this was rare about sort of like the Pharisee and the tax collector, you know, God comes in and he's like the Pharisee where he, you know, says, oh, I'm this and I'm this and I'm great. And and you say, well, have you sinned? What about an instance where somebody might be the tax collector and maybe they're like way too scrupulous in their confession? Very, very common for people who are just turning around their life. I've noticed that they come back with a lot of scruples because they're so repentant that they want to make sure that they're repenting for everything. And, you know, God's mercy is pretty exhaustive in, in, in that first confession. You know, when, when they come back, when they finally have the courage and they come back sincerely, you know, they should have – the whole ideal is that they have confidence that they are washed of their sinfulness. And, but a lot of times they get really particular about, you know, uh, you know and, and typically – the, the things that, that typically occupy people with the most with scruples is sexual sins just because it's the feeling of dirtiness. So typically the reason why is because because most other s- sins, even like the most heinous, which pride is the most heinous, pride actually feels good. So, uh, so most people are not very aware of their pride, whereas sexual sins, there's a lot of shame involved with it, which is not nearly as grave as a prideful sin, mm-hmm. but it feels a lot worse. And so people would tend to get very scrupulous about those kinds of things. 
Um, and, and those are the ones that they end up like sharing way too many details, you know? And so you have to kind of say, but, but it, it's sort of a cathartic, mm. they're trying to, trying to, you know, make themselves feel better. And, and, and that's where a lot of times I'm just like, okay, like, no, like you are good. God loves you. You know, more his, his, his mercy is way greater than your sins. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've done a good job of confessing your sins. Be at peace. Like, and then a lot of times, see, a lot of times when that happens, they'll come back and they'll say, I don't know if I confess this. I don't know if I ever confess this. I don't know, you know. And a lot of times I just try to affirm, just like, you're good. But sometimes it, you can't. It's just a psychological yeah. thing, you know. So they're, they're not, they're just struggle with scruples. And so something that, that I might, I think I might personally struggle with, and I, this also could be scrupulous on my part, but one of the most essential aspects of confession is the examination of conscience mm-hmm. beforehand. And I find myself very often either totally disregarding it or just or just flying through it, just sit down and you know, for about a minute, just like, okay, what have I what have I done since my last confession? At least like, okay, as long as I can know when was my last confession, mm-hmm. then I'm good. Cause I generally like, you know, you pretty much always know where your mortal sins are and you generally know all of your venial sins, even though you don't have to confess them in confession. Uh and so it's like okay, if I know what I've I know what I've done, I just like go into the confessional and I just say it and I get out, right. and I sort of put examination of conscience off to the side. Yeah. Am I being too scrupulous in doing that? Well, um, uh, well, no. It sounds like you're not doing it, huh? Wait, <laughs> what do you mean? In, or like, being scrupulous in in thinking that you need to do that, that I need to spend more time if I, I like, because I think I know my sins, and I'm not sure. Sometimes, like whenever I sit down to examine my conscience, okay, like. What what new revelations about myself am I gonna need right. to bring into this confession right now? Right, you know, I right. I, th- I just think one thing that helped me is like one time after confession, I just like asked Father, like, do you think I'm examining my conscience well? Like, do you like did it did it seem like I I was like self aware of what I was saying? You know, like just to try to get his opinion like directly after of like what. I guess he doesn't know the things that I could have not said, you know, but it's kind of like... You definitely can tell when somebody's thinking about their sinfulness and, and, and has the habit of that. So there, you know, there, there's definitely a vast difference, for instance, for someone who comes in and they haven't been to confession in a very long time. And, and you see, and that's, the, that's part, of, part of the question about like prying and stuff. A lot of times I'll say, okay, look... I'm not trying to pry, but would you like me to go through the Ten Commandments? Would you like me to go through some sins that you may have committed? And just know I'm not accusing you of them. I'm just saying that this, these are possible sins. You know, and then if they say yes, then I'll go through them. And and then they're like, oh, yeah, didn't even think about that. Okay, so clearly that person doesn't have the habit of examining themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas you can tell somebody who, even though they may um, may not get every sin right on the dot, they have a, a habit of examining themselves. They has a, have a sensitivity to when they sin. Mm-hmm. So it's like they sin and then they're like, oof. You know, they feel it or, or they experience the, the effects of their sinfulness and they want to bring that to confession. Yeah. Um, so you can usually, as a priest, you can be aware of that. But also I, I just recommend because the real one who knows our sinfulness and is is bringing us to confession is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who who convicts us and he's the one who's who's bringing to mind these sins 
and he's the one who's forgiving us. So he's got the whole thing planned out. So, I, I mean, I say and trust sincerely say, Holy Spirit, help me to know my sins. That's a very good way to to uh, begin an examination and then, you know, to trust him that you don't have to like go through blow by blow, you know, like watch a, a tapes of what you did. You, you just like the Holy Spirit will let you know because mm-hmm. he's the one who wants to forgive you anyway. Mm. So he's the one who's inspiring this idea, uh, the, the desire to go to confession in the first place. Yeah. I saw this, um, read this quote. I think, yeah, it was Padre Pio. And he said, like, this is not a quote, but, you know, the devil, like, wants you to be wrapped up in that state of, like, just utter guilt and, like, that you'll never be forgiven. Yeah. That, you know, even if, like, you go to confession, it's like, okay, but did you really, Yeah. are you really repentant? And, like, that's a legitimate question that you have to ask yourself, but, but don't get bogged down in that because, like, the Lord's mercy is infinite. And he will, if, if you are, if you come to him, like, he will forgive you. And we need confession. He doesn't. Right. You know, like, we need to confess our sins, but he doesn't need our uh, our confession to forgive us. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that goes back to the question that we were asking about, can I confess my sins to God alone? We can't. Can God forgive me without a priest? Yeah, of course he can. He can do whatever he wants. But... How do I know that I'm forgiven? And confession is meant to give that security and that 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 uh, that surety that your sins are forgiven. But but like I say, I I like to like to to your point, like the devil definitely causes you to question. Not only like did I confess my sins well? Is a priest listening? Did the pre- uh, the devil will start to ask make you ask this question? Did he say absolution correctly? You know, like that that's the kind of mantra that the devil uses because what does he do? He throws doubt in our face. That's mm-hmm. what he tries to do constantly. So, so yeah, I mean, if we come to confession and we say, like, let's have confidence in his mercy. Now, I, I want to distinguish, though, that, that there, there are some psychological struggles that people have mm-hmm. with scrupulosity, OCD, and those kinds of things that prevent them from... That, you know, like OCD is kind of like, it's connected to like Tourette's, where it's like you you are trying so hard to not think the worst thought that you end up thinking the worst thoughts. It's like yeah. Tourette's where you just end up saying the worst words that come to mind. So it's very, that's very similar. And so it's not, they're not trying to, they can't control it. Their mind's just going there, you know? And it's the same thing with scrupulosity. So some people struggle with scrupulosity and it is the responsibility of the priest to be patient and loving, because that's what St. Paul says, mm-hmm. be patient with the scruples of those who are struggling. That's that's so funny. When I was a little kid, I mean, I always heard, like, never swear to God. You know, like, yeah. like my mom would always tell me that, my like, whatever. And I would think about that so much that, like, when I was a kid, I, I used to always, like, in my head say, like, I swear to God, I'm going to do this. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm so stupid. Like, yeah. but that would be like my way of like making myself do something. Right. It was so weird. It was yeah, so, right. and I, I always felt so like, like, yeah. ah, I hate this. Like, yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah, right. one thing, uh, one thing I wanted to ask is kind of like, and share as much as you can, but I wanted to kind of hear what the back end of confession looks like in the sense of like, you, you hear these people out in the confessional i'm sure at times you wish like you could accompany them more and you could like help them more in their faith but like 
what as as a father kind of like do you do you try to like take on penance for these people or do you like how do how do you handle like a sinner who you just like want to just continue on in the spiritual life and like yes yeah, is, is or is there any like thing you're required to do as a confessor like do you have to do you have to take on penance for these people or yeah you are you are supposed to now i mean i mean you know living a a penitential life could be sufficient you know what i'm saying like having a habit of penance and you know offering those things for for your penitence is uh, you know can suffice but but no that i mean there has to be there has to be no a real connection with the penitent you know because like you are dealing with sin too you know and and you feel like that scapegoat you know the the goat that in the old testament where they confess all their sins on top of it and they send it to to a demon <laughs> like sometimes that you kind of feel that way because you're like now what do i do with all this stuff and now i mean i would say on 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 this on this side that other side of confession i mean one of the harder things and i'm just being very vulnerable and honest about that is um you know people confess some things that you've never thought about before you know you personally never you know thought about and now that's on your mind you know what I'm saying? So now, now you have those thoughts, um, but even that is a share in carrying that person's cross. Mm. And so you bring that to the Lord, who has already taken on all the sins of the world, and 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 you divest that to Him. You know, I mean, that's that's what I do whenever, especially when it's particularly heavy mm. on my heart. Um, now. You know, uh, there, there's sort of a, like I said, I think thinking of a confessor as a doctor is a, or at least for me as a confessor, thinking of myself in that way is very helpful. It's like, I'm going to prescribe something, you know, they may come back, they may not be healed, but I'm not losing hope, you know, I realize that there's something wrong, you know, and then like, um, I mentioned the brother who had to go. Who, who went to the hospital because he had seizures he had a seizure you know there was a doc the, some of the doctors were like we can't find anything wrong and so we brought him to a cardiologist and they were, were like they said they couldn't find anything wrong and he said of course of course they couldn't you know and other, his point was is like that doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong clearly there's something wrong if he's having seizures you know and that's that's how doctors look at things okay I know there's something wrong I just might not know what it is yet mm-hmm. And so, um, but at the same time, I also know that healing doesn't take place in an instant. Yeah. And, and the same, the, that's just as true for sinfulness as it is for any other kind of affliction or ailment. Um, so I think it's being patient and, and trusting in the Lord that who's really the physician. Love don't care. Love don't care.